On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss Fedora Workstation Live Streaming Compatibility Initiative. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 86 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forum, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network to give our takes. With me today is the spiked eggnog of photography excellence, Wendy, and Matt, the gaming and fruitcake enabler of the DLN network. I can definitely see where you call Matt a bit of a fruitcake, but how am <laughs> I the spiked eggnog? I'm not really sure. You can have a little bit of a bite to you at times, so there we go. Mm, there we go. Okay, sounds good. I mean, I would never. I'm always so nice. Nate, you're insinuating by fruitcake. That's the gift that you give to nobody that they want. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. Well, see, here's the problem with that analogy. You've bought the stuff I've recommended, so that's on you. Hey, look, it doesn't have to be <laughs> accurate. It just has to fit the moment, all right? Not about the accuracy. So, Wendy, how are things, you know, with it's December now, getting into those cold months? How's it going for you over there in the high desert? For the most part, it's actually been pretty warm. We've been enjoying some afternoons where you don't need a jacket warm saying high 40s low 50s so really warm for this time of year but that usually means that when the cold snap comes it's going to be horrible so we're just enjoying the warmest we got it and if you listen to episode 49 of hardware addicts you know that i got a new phone i also mentioned this on mastodon so if you're following me you already know that i have a phone you already know which one i got I went with the OnePlus 9 on Hardware Addicts. I covered all of the nitty gritty hardware details for this. But the reason I went 9 instead of Pro was because with the sale that I bought the phone on, there was a $200 difference between the OnePlus 9 and the OnePlus Pro. I was buying two phones at the time, so that would be not just an additional $200, it would be an additional $400. And I didn't really see the point in paying $200 more. Processors are the same across both of them. They both have an extremely high frustrate rate screen. Like there's so many things that were exactly the same across the two different versions of the phone. I didn't see the point in paying that much more for the pro version of this device. Now, where this is coming into some difficulty, now that I have the phone, I've been using it for a few days. I did order it on Black Friday, mainly because I've been watching phone sales. I knew that this was probably the last time that this phone was gonna be at this price or could potentially go up. The price of it wasn't getting any better. So I went ahead and bought it at the price that I did, which was uh, in upper mid-range land. It was more than the Motorola 4s, 4Zs that I bought here a couple years ago, but it wasn't outrageous as far as some of the other phone prices can get. Now that I have them, and I did pick them up the same day because they were available at the local store, so I did go grab them. I did play with it for several days without a case, which probably wasn't very good because I did drop it once. One of the horrible things about this phone is they are super, super slick. I don't know how anybody can use this without a case, without a skin, something like that, just because I didn't actually drop it from my hand. It slid out of my pocket. Not so great. Wow. But now that I have it home, and I'm starting to look at custom ROMs for this. Originally, I was wanting to, day one, put Lineage on it, but because I didn't have a case for it, and I wanted to make sure that these really were the phones that I wanted to use. Nowhere locally had a OnePlus device where you could play with them, look at them, see what the UI looked like, that kind of thing. I mean, I knew for the most part what it was going to be, but I wasn't able to do a hands-on anywhere before purchasing it. And so I didn't want to fully commit until I'd actually used it for a little bit. The first plan was to put Lineage on it. For the OnePlus 9 Pro, there is an official Lineage branch for the OnePlus 9, there isn't. In general, there just seems to be fewer ROMs for it. Part of the reason I didn't go with the Pixel device was one, they are super new, just a month old. 
if that. And there was no sale and the prices weren't going down. I really didn't want to pay that much for the device. And as we talked about before, I didn't want to jump full heartedly into the new CPU that was put out by Google, that new silicon. I'll let this first generation roll and then maybe I'll do like second or third generation after some of the bugs are worked out or whatever. They seem to be running well, but I'll skip first generation. So far, I am enjoying the device itself. I didn't realize how much I'd love that high refresh rate on a phone. Yeah, I'm looking at the specs now on GSM Arena. The screen seems pretty impressive. I know you said megapixels don't mean anything, but that also seems, you know, 50 megapixels seems pretty impressive. Does yours have the 8 or 12 gigabytes of RAM? Mine only has 8. Only Only. 8. In a phone. I know, right? (laughs) There are some differences there. The Pro that I was looking at, the only version left, had the 12 gigs of RAM. It's got less memory than I typically like, though I don't keep a lot of stuff stored on the phone as far as like pictures and that kind of stuff goes. I looked at what I was using on my other phone and I can get by with the 125 gigs of storage. The biggest issue right now is I'd bought an adapter because it does no longer have the headphone jack. I bought an adapter. It showed up yesterday and I'm like, yay, I can listen to my book tonight as I'm falling asleep. Nope, there's something seems to be wrong with the adapter that I bought. It does have (laughs) USB-C charging and it does have a headphone jack, but only one of them works at a time. So if I plug it in, I can use the headphones as long as I'm not charging. If I'm charging, then it'll play the audio through the phone speakers, which then defeats the whole purpose of the dongle. Right, that's kind of a deal breaker for me personally. I don't think I can deal with the not having a separate headphone jack. I still like to have that old analog output at this point and so forth. So I think I'm stuck where I'm at right now. But looks like a neat phone otherwise. I'm just gonna have to find a new dongle. There are ones that'll do it. Just the one that I bought is, well, Sesame Street words. I know what that means. You do, but nobody else does. I'm sorry. It's all right. Such a powerful phone. That'll do rings around many of the laptops I have that I still use regularly. It's just kind of crazy. It'll do rings around the old phone that I was using. There are different applications that load so much faster that I didn't realize could load so much faster. And now that I'm using this device again, it'll be really hard to go back to anything that's less than as far as some of the... (laughs) Hardware capabilities. Wendy, once you go high refresh screen on a phone, it's hard to go back. It really is. Yeah. Magneto has the exact same phone. He actually hasn't got to use his yet because the cases just did arrive yesterday. Did you basically just buy him a vault so he can poke at the screen and that's about it? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, he used it while sitting at the desk so he could do some of the basic setup type stuff. So it's ready to go. I've got the new SIM card in it. I would have finished setting it up for him last night, but I was editing this last week's episode. And tonight when he gets home, I'll go ahead and activate the new SIM card in this device and then he'll take it with him tomorrow. It already has a screen protector, the case on it, all of that stuff is done. So once the SIM card is activated, it is fully ready for Magneto use. Because of the new job, he's not in as much dirt and grime as he was before. So hopefully it'll last all right. The last phone for him lasted two years, which is an amazing timeline for him. Usually after a year, it's got to be replaced. So we'll see how this one holds up. Because that really is a test of how well it's made. It's how long Magneto can use it before it dies. You should probably get that Samsung flip or razor flip. I think that seems like a good fit for Magneto. Oh, yeah. So it could be destroyed in 2.5 seconds. <laughs> He'll use it to shape some metal, find out some, uh, like the corner of a piece of sheet metal with it. Well, we're great. Oh, yeah. Well, and just the sheer amount of dirt that he's around. I've always been worried that with that flip device, just the dirt getting into it, causing scratches on the screen, wearing out that crease a little bit faster. He had a slide device when we first met, and that was one of the issues that he was having with that in general was dirt and dust and things that got into that slide feature to where it was no longer performing as well as it should. Those things are not made for Magneto. Most things aren't. True. Most phones aren't made for me either, so I get it. We have a lot of that around here. I'm not the only one with new hardware, though. Matt, you are diving into a completely different realm with the hardware you bought. 
<laughs> yeah. Some could say this can become destination Mac OS extend for some of us. <laughs> so I ended up diving into the other end of the ecosystem outlook. If there's been one thing from the LTT videos, my biggest criticism has been the approach. You can't be an average consumer if you don't start at the base level of where the average consumer starts or the average gamer, supposedly in these guys' case. Most people are budget-oriented, so you're going to start on the budget end. You're going to buy from an OEM. Over the course of the next month, I ended up buying a first-gen iPhone SE, which, yes, Nate still doesn't have the headphone jack. <laughs> and I bought late 2014 MacBook Air, 8 gigs, and 256 gigs of storage. Reason being, normally I wouldn't consider this. The price entry was not make me want to uh, pop my eyes out, kind of cartoon-wise. It was about 300 bucks, give or take, and not counting tax, to actually jump into that end of the ecosystem. And it's been a while since I've actually tried living in macOS, and iOS. So I wanted to give it its fair shot. I'm not expecting to do gaming. Ironically, I know it's a limitation of the platform. I'm going to daily drive this for a month, both the iPhone and the MacBook for, you know, general everyday computer use and all the other stuff. Gaming, I'm going to try to limit just to console and that's pretty much it. It'll be an interesting experiment for the next month because uh, as much as I would hate to say, even this show, I'm going to be jumping on. I'm going to be using Mac OS. You're banned for the next month. Okay. I mean, to me, it sounds like putting yourself through <laughs> some kind of a strange torture. Torture chamber? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've used macOS from time to time. I have used iOS from time to time. I just find them so kludgy, just so difficult to use, but could be because I don't understand the Mac way of doing things or the Apple way, and uh, I like to do things my own way. I don't think that I could get along very well with the Mac OS challenge. I'd probably be just as incompetent as some other people out there, you know, trying Linux for the first time. No, actually, I'm pretty good at reading documentation before I start something up. You could handle that part of it. Yeah, I can handle that part of it. I think I just wouldn't want to do it. The motivation for me to do that, that's a pretty tall hill to climb for me. But now for you, you know, go forth and do great things. I mean, I think community's proud of you. Do what you want. Taking one for the team, I suppose, to tell us how Mac OS is. I've signed off on that. I'm pretty much, I'm just done <laughs> with Mac. Well, what they also don't realize is while these are secondhand machines, yes, I will totally own that one. I am using each OS on equivocal hardware. So I'm going to test drive and run Mac OS and iOS for a month. I already looked and scoped out equivocal hardware for Windows. I've already looked and scoped out a specific OEM on the Linux end with particular hardware that is exactly basically the same across the board. The SSDs might be different and I'll take that into consideration. But overall, I want to daily drive each one of these for like a month as the primary computing experience, then make a overall comparison to actually give a legitimate, here's a pro, here's a con, here's a pro, here's a con. So this is step one in a series of hardware challenges. Yes. And that to me is the only true way to actually judge anything. Experience it, live it the entire time. Throw out the preconceived notions that you have, that you think you have. Like me approaching macOS, I'm not approaching it as a Linux user. As much as that's going to be hard, like I'm still going to use a ton of open source applications, but I'm going to try to live in the mind frame of people who use macOS and iOS. So a lot of my stuff is probably just going to be from the app store. I've lived macOS enough where I know some of the idiosyncrasies that I'm going to want to bash my head off a wall all with, but <laughs> on the same note, this is all officially supported hardware still. So the experience is hardware and software wise, totally what you would get from an OEM. And that's what I'm going for. So you will be getting the latest version of Mac OS on these two devices that you purchased? I will, because I did my research when it came to this particular challenge and the barrier to entry had to be low enough price wise for me to justify it. Right. $300, to $350 price point to entry for what would be essential for a Mac OS quote unquote experience or an Apple experience was not horrible because it's not any more than I right. paid for some machines. So when you go to the Windows side of it, are you going to be using Windows 10 or Windows 11 or both? I will be using Windows 10 because more than likely the hardware will not be supported because the late 2014 MacBook Air is like an i5. It's either fifth or fourth gen. I don't remember exactly. But Windows 11 requires at least, I think, seventh gen or newer. So you'll be running everything on this same system? No, no, no. So like, as an example, I'm going to buy a ThinkPad. 
with essentially it's going to be a fourth or fifth gen i5. The same hardware. Same hardware. Might be a different screen. You know, there's going to be idiosyncrasies here and there. The next machine, when I do the Linux Pornogot Challenge, I'm going to be buying a PSU System76 machine, but I'm going to install Pop! OS. And I'm not a big GNOME guy. We all know that. <laughs> But I'm going to live in it for a month. And then at the end of it, I'm going to be like, okay, this is the pros. These are the cons of each. At the end of the day, some people view it as these aren't just tools. They're tools to me. That's just my mind frame. Sometimes taking away what I've already used or viewed or how I see things out of the equation and just using it how it is quote unquote intended is actually sometimes easier to actually make a better conclusion for a tool. As far as the phone thing, iOS is going to be on the Windows and Apple portion. I'm not even going to attempt it when I hit the Linux end just because I already know the headaches there. No, thank you. You're not going to use a Windows phone, are you? <laughs> if the platform wasn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not dead, Matt. It's not dead. It's just in the witness protection program. There you go. And Microsoft put it in when they buried it <laughs> under a giant stadium with Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> But we can find where Windows Phone is. We can't find Jimmy Hoffa. In other words, they want to forget it. <laughs> Somebody knows. Somebody knows. But anyway, yeah, so that's kind of the idea. I wanted to criticize the approach that somebody else is taking, but they're coming at it from a preconceived notion, and I want to not do that. So that's kind of the whole intent of the challenge that I'm doing. Live in Windows, live in Mac, live in Pop! OS from an OEM level experience, and just go from there. It's an interesting case study of sorts. It's an interesting way to, to study it from personal perspective. I'm assuming you can do some videos or articles or maybe a series of things on this? Is that accurate to say? There will be a series of things on this more than likely, yes. Excellent. While I'm looking to buy new machines and jump into three different kind of categories and OSs, Nate, you have three different tiers of machines that you deal with, though. I do. I have various OpenSUSE Tumblr machines, and I've often been asked how and how often do you update your Tumblr machines or, or how often should you? And I'm not saying that I am the authority on when to update, but this is basically what I've done. I kind of, and I put my pen to paper, as it were, or finger to keyboard and just kind of wrote down what is it do. My first tier is the primary machines that I interact with on a regular basis. It's like my laptop, my Commodore 64 imposter computer, one of the laptop that I keep updated about every week to two weeks. I'll do sudo zipper dup on it and pull down the updates and there you go. One machine is kind of the canary in the coal mine. So if something does go awry with it, I'll delay on the others should something happen. It doesn't happen very often or usually there's an easy fix and you know I'll just keep rolling. The next tier, my servers, right now it's just one, but another one will be moving into that mix where I update about every two to four weeks. I'll do a sudo zipper dup and uh, pull down all the updates. Should something break, I'll usually do it on a day that there's nothing critical coming up the next day so I can work my way through it or just, you know, roll back file bug reports and Necessary, which I haven't had to do. Knock on um, press board, I guess. And then my last tier of machines that I update are like my kids' machines, machines that are just not on all the time. They're not mission critical machines whatsoever. I don't interact with them all the time. And those machines get updated anywhere between four weeks to six months, but I wouldn't recommend six months. So let's say four to 12 weeks. And I never have any problems. I shouldn't say never. I had problems with one. But I wrote a little article on this on cubicleinate.com, how I handle each of the tiers of updates and when, and as well as what I've done to mitigate issues that I have had, which are not very common, there are things that do happen. If the server's getting a little bit beat up, get a like curl error and can't download packages and just, you know, restarting it. Or if you have continual problems, you know, how to basically force the thing to continue to keep trying. Just a way to take all my thoughts and how I do things, put it in a little concise article so that when people ask, I can say, well, here are my recommendations and I can kind of spit it out to them. I've actually had pretty good feedback on it so far from uh, randos on the internet. So I do appreciate that. I kind of have the same thing going on that there are systems that get updated on a regular basis just because I interact with them all the time. That would be my main desktop, the kitchen system, and then the laptop that I'm typically packing with me. Then there would be the laptops and stuff the kids use. They don't use them as often, so when I remember, get around to it, they get updated. My daughter does use her laptop all the time, but I don't think to update it, and I need to remind her to update it, but it does get... <laughs> More frequent updates than some, and the ones that get updated the least would be the ones that I'm taking back and forth to school with me. Right now, I don't know an effective way to update them on a regular basis, and part of that is it's even hard to charge all of those laptops. Oh, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, there's just so many plugins that need to be used at one time for all of those laptops. Right now, there's only... 
10 kids in class. And this semester, I'm kind of glad for that because just finding an additional place to plug in 10 more laptops when, to be fair, we've got technology all over this gosh darn house. It's like, um, <laughs> where am I going to put these? So next semester, there might be more kids. I've got to work out a solution between now and then. But I definitely see where you are with those different tiers and updating and how often you interact with them definitely affects when those updates get done. Yeah, and the thing I also want to come across in that article as well is that really OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is a rolling distribution, but it's kind of a roll at your own pace distribution. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of it because I don't have to worry about reinstallation or doing any trickery in the command line to move to the next release and so forth like you do with Fedora or OpenSUSE Leap. And so it's just one of those things I just really like. It helps me to be kind of lazy, I guess you could say. It does have me think, you know, maybe I need to do some sort of a local caching server or something like that so that I can pull the updates down locally and then do the updates from that because I do have a limited bandwidth. And that's the other stumbling block that I have. But it's one of those things that I'm not really going to pursue now because I have other things that are more important before I break something else. You have lots of stuff you're working on. That's just added to the list of things to do eventually. It is. There's just no end to all the excitement that's out there in the open source and tech world. For those of us that have a hard time staying focused, there's enough out there to keep you from focusing <laughs> for a lifetime. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now's the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and containers. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than any other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup, too. As a DLN Extend listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Speaking of focus, Fedora Workstation has a live streaming compatibility initiative to bring some focus into improving live streaming and coding sessions and so forth, especially since the events of the last year, and there's a lot more interest in such activities. And it's really neat to see how Fedora has taken the time or the community of Fedora has taken the time to make the best out-of-box experience with the software and hardware that the community uses. Now, Matt, you brought this up, and I thought this was a great article to talk about, but it's really interesting to see like all the different aspects of streaming, things that require like light, mixer, and input decks, You know, the usage of high-end microphones, webcams, and, and so forth. Now, I know that you do more streaming-type activities than I do, I would say, to demonstrate different software or whatever. So is this something that has attracted you for a particular piece of hardware that they're working on or a certain something? Good usage of words. <laughs> So for those that don't know, I'm not a big Fedora guy. Just not my cup of tea. Kind of like Nate's uh, obsession with OpenSUSE. My obsession is just not to use Fedora. So you need to use Fedora for a month is what you're saying as part of your experiment. <laughs> I think so. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, nah, nah, yes, nah. that's what I got from that. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. I'll be using GNOME when I use Pop! OS for a month. Uh, don't make me use vanilla GNOME. <laughs> Please, <laughs> please, not a fan. Anyway, what drove me to this and what I liked about this is that it's not just a typical wiki or it's like, oh, this stuff works. Okay, cool. I like those wikis, don't get me wrong. But it gives a breakdown of this particular card works well in Linux. This is, doesn't work that well. It goes over the pros and cons of like what doesn't work, what works, what applications you're going to need. Kind of in one list as opposed to anything else. I do like that aspect. But the thing I like the most about this is they talk about some of the issues and that kind of stuff that really kind of need to be addressed. Audio gets a little wonky sometimes when you know, you're know you dealing with different inputs and a lot of mixers and everything else. So when you unplug for something and it gets a little weird, audio tends to go to the wrong direction. It's definitely something that needs to be looked at. So I'm glad to see that they're looking at it. One of the other things is that they wanted to partner 
partner up with vendors and industry people like in the live streaming industry to actually get some momentum behind this. And I am totally for that because while most of us are best bang for buck, if you're going to do live streaming on generically any platform, barring the software, the generic hardware, everyone runs to Elgato. And I'm not going to lie, most of the stuff doesn't work all that well. There are other things that work in place of, if you want to be like all the top streamers, Elgato's is kind of the go-to. It's kind of like Razer when it comes to the gaming stuff, but it's just the, the live streaming version of it. For me, it's one of those things where it's like, I really don't care about some of this stuff. If this improves the overall ecosystem for live streaming to be better on Linux, that's awesome. One of the things is for DSLR cameras to be used as a webcam. That right now, from my understanding, is hit or miss. But that's hit or miss on kind of any platform. Windows has its issues with it. There's only recently been apps that they've made available, I think it was from Sony, that made it so you have a clean output to use a DSLR camera as a webcam. It can definitely be a bit sketchy. I know trying to use... My Nikon camera, of course, I need to use a capture card as part of that, but audio syncing has definitely been the worst part of it. I'll say something and then the audio comes in, but as part of this software solution thing, they're also looking at contacting OBS and getting better pipe wire integration directly into that. So that is one of those mitigations. If you are working with some of this different firmware or software that you need in order to make the DSLR work as a webcam, which it definitely has its own issues as far as what software it's able to use to connect that. But then bringing in OBS and using what they've done with Pipewire to make that audio sync in general, it's just a massive overhaul of the ecosystem. And you're right, it's making it better for those who aren't doing game streaming. And I've had multiple online meetings over the last year, year and a half. Some of that would have been done regardless anyway, just because we are constantly meeting online. We do meetings with the network online. I have other meetings with people just because, hey, I've got 10 minutes during this day and it's faster, especially where I live in the country, to jump online and have a meeting than always meet somebody, especially in town, because I usually have to drive a half hour, have a 10-minute meeting, and then drive a half hour back. Online meeting is just so much faster and more efficient oh, for sure. than driving to go do something like that. I love this idea of saying, hey, we see that this is a problem. We know that people are using their systems in these ways. Here's what's working. Here's the downfalls in these systems. Who can we contact? What can we do to make this better? And being open about where stuff is lacking. You can't progress if you're not open about the fact, well, this is a downfall and we have to work on it. You know, I think for some of these aspects, lighting, I guess Elgato light thing is, is pretty cool, but I think it's probably some alternatives you could use besides that. The Stream Deck, I think, is a very interesting device. I wouldn't exactly know how to implement it, but it's neat to see that the Stream Deck on Linux is uh, getting easier with a Stream Deck UI. I don't know how it works. I don't have one. Is Stream Deck something you've played with before, Matt? The short version of it, and this is like mad simplified version of it, is take a 10 key off the side of a keyboard, Put some LEDs behind it, put some customizable keys and stuff on it and throw some RGB on it and you can use it as hotkeys. That's really what it is. It's designed for around that. Again, that's a really, really simplified version of what it is, but I've never seen the point in it. I couldn't justify a $200 purchase like that personally, but you know, other people do. So yeah, it's each their own. You just spent what, 800 bucks on hardware for uh, Macintosh hardware? So you can probably no, afford No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm insane when I buy hardware, but I'm not that insane, thank you. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're number one, Nate. You're number one, buddy. You're number one in I gaming. One. Let's put it that way. <laughs> You're as good as Ryan and Michael. But no, uh, the Elgato stream deck. Not gonna lie, most of the Elgato stuff to me is like Razer. A lot of it's just overpriced for what it is. Just my take. One of those things where you're paying more for the name than you actually are for the advancements in the hardware. That happens. I have that feeling when it comes to Mac, personally. At least in previous generations. Mm -hmm. But there is a added expense for saying that you have the 
Elgato Steam Deck, which to me, I don't even understand why it got called that. It throws me off every time I hear the company name, but that's a different story. <laughs> Delgado is synonymous with like the Twitch and the YouTube streaming. So it's kind of like the Kleenex kind of thing. It's like people just associate that brand with that particular activity. They've done an amazing job marketing themselves and getting them to be the brand to use for streamers. Yes. Again, for me, there's plenty of alternatives. I mean, for those of us who you know, actually live on a budget, like most sane people, I'm perfectly fine buying Red Dragon stuff. Which It's not the most high end stuff, but it's not the most horrible price-wise stuff either. When it comes to working on Linux, does that other work better than Elgato or does it have the same pitfalls where having a one-on-one communication with this company would help those other pieces of hardware work better. Well, so as an example, like the Red Dragon customization of like the keyboard is done on the keyboard. So the firmware just is on the keyboard. Don't need to worry about it. You plug it in, it's USB powered. They don't care. So you can save profiles and change it. As Wendy would say, the rainbow color vomit and all the other stuff. So you don't need things like, what is it, Open Razor, I think, is how you control most of the Razor stuff on Linux. So you don't need a lot of that stuff. They have apps for Windows, but you don't need the apps. I much prefer this approach because it's synonymous with I can just plug it into anything and it's just whatever profile I saved is going to work. That's part of the reason why I bought the keyboard that I did for that exact same reason, because I could do all of the changes directly on the keyboard itself. This one's a Cooler Master and it didn't have any need for additional software. So whatever profile I set it to, I can take it anywhere. And like you, I don't necessarily want to install extra software to make some of the tweaks like that. I have done it for my mouse installed Hyper, which works absolutely fantastic. But as you start adding all of these additional pieces of hardware for streaming, that can be a lot of extra software you're adding and a lot of extra tweaks you're having to do in each one of those pieces of software, which becomes an additional failure point when you are streaming. Yeah, the more apps, the more stuff you add, the more overhead you put in, the more likely something can break. And and sometimes that break is really, really not at the most ideal time. (laughs) So generically, I find this initiative to be really nice because it gives you things like you're cleaning up background noise with noise torch which you can use as a system level background noise cleanup for your generic microphone which is really cool easy effects for pipe wire i mean if you want if you're still on pulse you can use pulse effects obviously there's a lot of good information here and a lot of stuff that they're really looking to do and actually uh, inject this partnership kind of mentality with maybe elgato whatever i'm not holding my breath on that anytime soon better integration with the obs stuff and that kind of stuff i think is really really good for me i find this initiative to be about bringing as much of the open source pieces together as you possibly can to make a better cohesive experience for a live streamer. And I think that is awesome. So like if we can integrate things like Noise Torch in a way to actually work, somehow have like a live streaming setup without having to jump through 5,000 hoops to do stuff, or like a lot of this gets integrated at OBS, like that would be awesome to have. It makes those projects better, but it also makes OBS as an overall project and product a whole lot better. And that extends the viability of Linux as a platform, I'm all for a lot of this stuff to see and those partnerships to happen. So Definitely a plus for the community as a whole and the Linux ecosystem as a whole. That's one of the advantage of all of this being open source in the communities that we're in. The changes that are made in Fedora and the communications between different companies, different projects that they have will have an overall effect on the ecosystem as a whole and other projects being able to pull in some of these changes. I agree with you. This is an absolute win and I'm excited to see where they can take this. It being the name of Fedora and their ability to contact, say, some of these companies adds to hopefully the ability for stuff to get done instead of just it being a wishful idea. I wonder where this is going to position Fedora in the future. If they're focusing on this, do you see Fedora then probably taking a little bit of a lead here as far as the Linux world is concerned on streaming with their compatibility initiative? Possibly. One of the things I've had when dealing with Fedora is because there is no proprietary software that gets starts on it from the very beginning. If they want this to work beautifully out of the box for streaming, whether it's 
meetings or games or all of the other stuff that is available to stream, it could have a major impact on cleaning up some of those open source options and not needing the proprietary stuff. They could be a leader that way in this avenue of possibly open source only from start to finish in your game streaming, even if you're on NVIDIA. (laughs) Well, as much as you can on that one. Um, <laughs> right. As someone who uses OBS quite frequently, one of the major criticism and one of the things that I uh, hate to break it, you're still not going to get away from if you're on NVIDIA and you use OBS for like local recording is NVENC is still better than the other options. If there's one secret sauce to what keeps NVIDIA the best on Linux besides its better day one support, generically speaking, not always, mm-hmm. the NVENC stuff. I'll be 100% on that one. That's what keeps me on Team Green for the most part. And I have a Radeon card. That's what keeps me on Team Green is NVENC and the lack of performance hit when you're doing stuff. Forget my ignorance, but so I see under hardware encoding, Intel has a VA API and then NVIDIA has NVENC and I see nothing under AMD. So AMD has no hardware encoding enabled for it in OBS? They have an encoder AMF. It's just not as good. Like the quality isn't as good. More pixelation happens and things just don't work as well, unfortunately. It's somewhere in between using strictly Intel's and using NVIDIA. So it's better than Intel's because it's not based solely on the the CPU for the most part. But uh, it's also not the best when it comes to having like with NVIDIA where NVENC's just better. The thing with NVENC that makes it nice is like if you're streaming locally, you can use the same GPU to stream and do this gameplay without a big performance hit on either the stream or with the game. If Fedora is able to integrate a lot of these projects and clean them up and make a cohesive package of a, and I'm going to call it a product and not just projects, but more of an overall cohesive individual applications, making the sum of the product better, that to me would be amazing. I would love that. So tell us what you think. Fedora Workstation with our live streaming compatibility initiative, do you think this is going to gain some steam, get some momentum, and we're going to see more push for solutions across the entire Linux ecosystem? Or do you think this is going to stay with Fedora? You can comment on the DLine Discourse forum or in YouTube down below. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. So Wendy, we just got done talking about open source solutions for live streaming, but you're looking at another open source solution for email? Since getting the new phone, I decided I needed to change up the way that I was using MailFence on my phone. In the past, I have just essentially used the web app from Firefox, open up that web page in my mobile browser, and then set it to install on my phone, and then quick access to it from there. The biggest downside about using it that way is you're really not getting any notifications as emails come in. Typically, that's not too big of an issue. I've checked it when I had time during the day or whatnot. But as I'm using that particular email more and more for everyday things, as we are getting ready for our first Lego League competition, regionals are happening this coming weekend. You had me at Lego. 100%. It's a lot of fun. I'll have to tell you about it more (laughs) a little bit later. 
our team is being getting ready for this competition. There's a lot of emails and stuff that have come in that I've had to answer or look at in a timely manner, that kind of thing. And I didn't want to put my mail fence email in any kind of proprietary application where it would be sharing that stuff with Google or the Google services and the like. I have my private email address for a reason. I want to keep my private email address and the stuff that I get in that email private. In searching for a solution, I found the application Fair Mail. It has both a light and dark theme. For me, that's one of the first things I need to know. Is it going to blind me? Will it adapt to the system defaults that I have as far as color and it did. The first thing that happened when I opened up, it was already dark theme because my phone in general is a dark theme and then I could just tell it to always use that dark theme. It has a ton of features, 100% open source, and I love the way that this application is so privacy oriented. I do get a lot of junk mail that comes to this too. There are certain websites that I do want updates on sales and that kind of thing. I do consider that junk mail even though it's places that I am shopping, stuff that I want to see. Like MailFence, it won't automatically share the pictures and that kind of stuff that's going on in the emails. It hides all of that stuff that's remote. And then I can either in a setting say, hey, from this vendor, always show that stuff or not. The other thing that I like is if I click on a link inside that email, it's encrypted traffic. It's not sending a bunch of data to them as I've clicked on the link, which I also really, really like. Now, for the most part, I'm trusting these places that I'm purchasing from, but it's just that additional safety feature that helps to prevent phishing attacks, have to prevent malicious activity that's going on on the internet in general. I'd really like to see if they have a desktop application. I'm not seeing one on their website in general, but I really like a lot of the stuff that goes with it. Now, it doesn't come with all of the features. There's some add-on stuff that you can get if you pay for pro features. Based on what I've seen in the application, it's only $7.50. No, that's not monthly. It's a one-time donation to the application itself. Really, that's not much at all that they're asking for. And it just gives you some fun additional features. So being able to color code different folders, to snooze messages, but it does allow you to set the time in which you're sending messages if that's something you need, being able to use biometric or pin authentication. It just does have some extra niceties in the pro features. As of right now, it is absolutely usable without those pro features. I'm loving this application. There is no Google backup. It doesn't deal with advertising. There are no special permissions that are required. And it worked so slick with my MailFence account. I just had to put in my MailFence details. It automatically populated all of that information. I didn't have to go digging. I'm able to see messages as they come in. The only thing that I don't like, and it's basically the only thing that they can do where they don't use these Google services, is there has to be a constant notification up on the top of the phone that just says that Fairmail is monitoring. I'm only using one account with this at the moment. I don't like to have my phone screen cluttered. I would consider that as additional clutter in that top notification bar. But for everything else that it gives me, I can deal with that and not having it relating anything to Google or Google services. I think the fact that it's not using Google services and you can trust it to not spy on you or pull unnecessary amounts of information from you, I think that's really awesome. And the fact it does have a dark mode is also fantastic. I've been using Canine Mail primarily for my Android email client, and that seems to work pretty well for me. I don't get a whole lot of spam, surprisingly, even though my email is public. So, but that's cool that you found something. Now, is this something you can get on F-Droid or do you get it from the Google Play Store? Yes, it is available on F-Droid. I'm going to check that out because not that I have any issues with canine mail. It's nice to have your options open, you know, just in case something decides to go a little bit sideways with another project. You know, it's nice to have a backup. You never know. 
There's more software on the horizon. Tell us about Horizon Zero Dawn, the game of the week, Matt. Specifically, you can get this on PS4 or Steam or Epic or GOG, wherever you want to get it for PC. It's a Sony-produced game that was originally meant for the PS4 only. Sony ported it over sometime uh, last year, I believe, to the PC. Really fun game. It's an open world. Ironically, you can kind of call it uh, prophetic, I guess. Basically, technology overtook humanity and you ended up getting things like robotic dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, that's handy. Wow. Humanity ends up reverting back to more of a uh, tribal culture and that kind of stuff. So technology's there, but it's not. And so it's kind of an interesting game in that regard. Really, really beautiful looking game too. Combat's fun. It's if you've played any Sony type of like big AAA games, you've kind of played Horizon Zero Dawn as far as like the gameplay loop. Go out, collect stuff, story, go collect stuff, story, go collect stuff, story. And you know, combat, bow and arrow, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I like the way you break it down. <laughs> nice. Legitly the Sony, it's big budget, like first party stuff for the most part, is very formula driven. So watch to repeat the formula they did it with spider-man and i love the spider-man game to say that they don't have a formula and it works i'm not gonna say it doesn't but there is a formula it's very formula for sony but it's not the aesthetic the atmosphere the story and that kind of stuff kind of makes me forget about that this is just a typical formula sony game as far as how they make their games that's what I enjoy really with the game for the most part. And generically, you can usually find it for around 20 bucks, give or take on PC. Uh, the requirements are a little hefty for some people. I know some people aren't going to have that 1070 that they recommend. If you do have the necessary requirements for the system recommendations, definitely pick it up. Definitely one I would uh, buy again. Yeah, I mean, I bought it twice. Let's just put it that way because I have it for PC and I have it on PS4. It's kind of amazing that this game isn't anime that seems to be all of what we get from you or typically what we get from you okay i guess a few weeks ago you shared another game that wasn't anime but standard from you is that i do love the graphics in this they are i don't want to say dreamlike but they have that epic landscape feel for most of the images that it's showing in them that's probably where your extra resources are coming from in this pretty hefty on the graphics probably lots of movement in that scenery with shadows and the light going on. Lots of atmosphere is what I would say. Yes. There's lots and lots of atmosphere. They really do make a lot of effort to make sure you feel where you are. And I think that's really cool. I don't think I have anything that can run it. No, Nate, you do. It's called a PS4. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I do have a PS4. I'm surprised I have more than like five games on the PS4. But this is rated teen for teen. Which I'm not. So it's probably not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the things uh, yeah. we've joked about. I can say that none of us have reached that level of maturity yet. No, definitely not. No, Nate, actually, <laughs> if you want a cheap game to pick up for the PS4, get this game. You can get it for like seven bucks. Hmm. It looks like a commitment. <laughs> oh, it is. I'm not going to lie there. But like, if you want a game that's like, oh, interesting, and it's cheap, there you go. And it's modern, Nate. You should try it. <laughs> He plays modern games every once in a while. Yeah, I bought Petsky Robots from the 8-Bit Guy. He just made it recently. Don't feed his <laughs> habit. That's my job. I know when I'm enabling and I'm open about the fact when I do. Like I said, that's my job. The job of the fruitcake on the bunch today. So while I'm enabling people like Wendy and Nate to buy more video games, Nate, it seems like you're flipping some switches with your house again. With a tap on a phone or a click of a mouse button, I'm able to turn lights and heat lamps on inside my bird barn for my poultry. It took me a long time to do, about eight weeks longer than it should have. I ran electricity to my, I'd call it a chicken coop, but there are more than chickens in it. Now, as of this past week, I've got, well, right now just two circuits. What about more stuff next year, like exhaust fans and whatnot? But I have lights that I can turn on remotely and also a heat lamp so that I can set with by temperature. But right now, I just have it. The temperature drops below 32 degrees outside. It'll turn the heat lamps on and then turn it back off when the temperature rises above. But that's actually really not a good solution because, well, the outside temperature will stay low while the inside temperature might get too warm. I don't want to have too much of a heat differential, but I would like to have the temperature around 40 degrees or so inside the barn so that chickens will continue to produce eggs, you know, throughout the winter. Otherwise, you're just feeding them and not getting anything out of it. That kind of stinks. But I'm really excited about that because now, should my kids or somebody leave the light on, I don't have to go outside 
inside into the building and check. I just have to look at my mobile device or my computer and I can manage everything very easily and very quickly. And the next step, I'm actually about ready to buy some sensor devices that will sense temperature and humidity. And I was just going to buy, you know, a couple different uh, rooms and whatnot, but then they have a bulk discount and I'm like, I could probably buy 20 and use them all. So I need to control myself. That's the next step. So I can add some more automations at Home Assistant, can monitor the temperature, turn things on and off. And then probably also going to add some ways to open and closing doors automatically and so forth. But that'll comes with time. Those are some of the other projects that I have to work on, which is pretty exciting for me. Making the cubicle farm a little bit less work, ultimately. And working very hard to become lazy is really what's happening. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have had a timer set on my fish tank lights for years. And some of that is just consistency for the animals in general, right? I want the light to come on at the same time, the light to go off at the same time every day and just have some consistency for them, help the plants that are growing inside my tank as well. It makes sense to be doing that, especially where you're doing so much other automation. To do that for your chicken coop as well, just helping with the consistency of the temperature for the birds. That means healthier for them, better egg laying all around. It's a win-win for you to do this automation. Absolutely. It's just a matter of time before I get dialed in a little bit better. I'm sure I will keep you two posted. Tune into Matt's 24-hour gaming stream to raise money for the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, December 13th to the 14th. 24 hours, Matt is going to be playing games for charity. There are a list of games that the whole community can participate. Some of the creators of the Destination Linux Network will be there. So stop by, have some fun. And most of all, you got to troll Matt. And I suppose that if you want to troll Ryan or Michael, I guess that's fine too. They're much better at gaming than Matt is. I look forward to us playing Among Us, right, Wendy? Going to have some fun as a whole community playing Among Us with Matt. So we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. Among us, among us, among us. And for those that don't get it, there won't be any. (laughs) So Matt says there won't be any among us being played, but it doesn't mean that he's just saying that because, you know, he loves the community so much, he will do something like that for the community. But details on this charity event is on the DLN Discourse Forum. So check it out. Link to that in the show notes. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels in all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Or drop us a message on the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com contact. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store and grab yourself some awesome DLN swag along with our other shows from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 